Welcome to the Avail Leadership Podcast, where our goal is to help you take your leadership to the next level. My name is Virgil Sierra, and today we're sitting down with speaker, teacher, author, and advocate David Dukason to talk about his leadership experience in ministry and community impact. With extensive experience and research in the areas of intentional diversity and racial unity, you won't want to miss the insights David has to share. So let's jump right into this conversation. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Avail Leadership Podcast. As always, we aim to bring practical, relevant leadership content that's going to encourage you, that's going to equip you, and that's going to help you in the art of leadership. We know that many pastors are connecting. We know that many community and ministry and parachurch organization leaders are connecting, as well as just leaders in the community. And so we are always thankful. We're grateful for everybody who connects. And as always, we don't disappoint. We have great leaders who are with us. And today I'm going to be uh, talking here with Dr. David Dukason. Uh, he has over 20 years of ministry experience, investing his life, not only through the church, but in community, in the community uh, as a pastor, speaker, teacher, as an advocate, as an author. We're going to talk a little bit about his book. Um, and after pastoring for 20 years, uh, David and his wife, Dara, they launched Dukason Ministries. And through this organization, uh, David invests in churches, he invests in nonprofits and businesses across the world through speaking, teaching, and writing, and specifically in something that's just on his heart, which is very relevant to the times we're living. We're going to get to that in one moment. So first of all, uh, Dr. David Dukason, what an honor it is for me to connect with you here on the Avail Leadership Podcast. How are you doing? Oh man, I'm great, Virgil. Thanks so much for having me on the uh, the episode today. I love what you guys are doing. I'm a big fan, and I appreciate all that you guys do for leaders around the world, including myself. So good. And you know, I think one of the things that excites me the most whenever I prepare for uh, uh, one of the podcast episodes like this for with with a leader is not only learning a little bit about another leader that maybe I'm meeting or or maybe getting a little closer with, but is also hearing the heart, uh, hearing the passion. So we're going to get into a lot of that. Uh, but because I know there's a lot of people who are maybe getting to know you here on this podcast, could you just take a couple minutes and give us kind of like the rundown, you know, the two or three minute rundown of of your journey? Because it's been a lot of it has been. In ministry. A lot of it has been in leadership, uh, communication. Uh, why don't you share a little bit with us how you got to where you are now? Yeah, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina now uh, with my wife, uh, Dara, and our four kids, Max, Mary, Jack, and Ben. We get a bunch of teenagers in the house now. And, um, you know, started out in full-time ministry down in Orlando. I was leading worship and, uh, you know, just 20 nothing years old, learning, you know, like green behind the ears. <laughs> um, you know, somebody actually took my guitar away from me, one of my pastors, and said, I, I think that you have more in you. Um, and he said, uh, he said, you know, you're doing a great job for us as a worship leader, but I think that you can preach. And I was like, yo, no, I am not doing that. And sure enough, uh, you know, that sent me on a whole new journey. So I uh, did, you know, several years as worship leader and then uh, youth ministry and then associate pastoring and then uh, did two church plants, so moved to Charlotte in 2008 uh, to help plant our first church with a friend of ours up here. Uh, I always say that I rode shotgun on that one and learned church planting, and then that same friend sent us out um, about 20 minutes south to uptown Charlotte, which we were drawn to because of the 
diversity and thought and religion and uh, racial and, you know, like economic differences and all that stuff. And so we were just captivated by the city. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some of the, you know, the, the dynamics there. But after about five years, uh, we moved our church uh, to a very uh, unique location that really began to change my life in a very significant way. And I know that we're going to dive into that. Um, have started multiple nonprofit organizations, and um, it's been a joy to see. Uh, you know, I, I guess I, if I look back and kind of recap my journey, it's been very entrepreneurial. I'm a starter, and um, so starting organizations and um, seeing them come to life, and then uh, seeing what God has as we kind of solidify those and put it into the hands of leaders. Uh, that's for the next season, you know. So it's, that's kind of a nutshell of what we've been doing. <laughs> That's great. I know that um, one of the things I value with someone like you is I value the fact that you have not only experience, but um, you have a heart that the Lord has kind of helped you really develop in the, you know, in, in, in this season, you know, um, you've been through ministry and we talked a little bit about how you were, you know, in the season of pastoring and in the ministry uh, for a long time, but now you're kind of in another season, right? You're in another season where you're not, you're not uh, specifically pastoring a local church, although you're connected to the local church and, you know, abroad uh, in, in your city, in your state. And now the Lord's giving you more more opportunities. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about just kind of what the Lord's put on your heart. And I know we, we had a, such a compelling conversation leading up to this um, podcast recording uh, regarding uh your heart towards helping organizations. And this is, this is probably ministry and marketplace, right? You know, not just churches, but that's where your heart is regarding racial unity, economic unity, um, taking the steps, which most of the time takes a lot of courage to really build a plan for this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, the turning point for me that, that I alluded to just a minute ago is, um, you know, we had, we had started our organization, um, you know, our church in the, in the middle of Uptown Charlotte. And I just looked out um, one day and we went completely word of mouth. Um, it was, you know, multiple hundred people by the time we had gotten to this point, I looked out and I was like, yo, we all look alike. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't understand how we had gotten there. And what I realized is that diversity um, in thought, religion, you know, like ethnicity, uh, economically, um, it takes intentionality. Yeah. And, and so God really sent me on this journey where, um, you know, I just started to really reach out to some, some pastors and, and try and figure out like, you know, man, how did, how did your church end up looking like the United Nations and mine's like totally homogenous, you know, like, and, and what I kept on hearing was that it takes intentionality. It takes a plan. And so um, I just started to really pray towards that. We ended up moving our church to a dividing line between the rich and the poor in our city, um, literally across the street, half million dollar homes. Then the other side, homes that you could have bought for $40,000 in pervasive poverty. Mm. Um, and, and so that story is what kind of led me into my doctoral studies, which started off with the generational cycles of poverty, moved into racial and economic injustice, which led to... Um, this uh, real intentional season of travel where I was traveling around trying to figure out how to help families that are in generational poverty. And, um, and then that led me 
to helping to start and get off the ground. I was the founding director for Freedom Communities, which is a organization that helps families engage um, in get, gaining equitable access to four areas to help them break cycles of poverty, which I think we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with Dukasen Ministries now, and I think that's what you're what you're getting to. Um, about a year ago, Virgil, I just felt like the Lord really put on my heart that if I was going to really fulfill the call that God had on my life, that I needed to take a step of faith. My family, we needed to step away from the thing that we planted, the very thing that we loved so very much, and take a step of faith, finish up the book that I had been working on, and make myself available, which is the name of this podcast for these leaders, right, is avail. Like we avail ourselves to the Lord. And yeah. so it's like, um, so I felt like the Lord was saying to me, um, I need you to make yourself available because there's a lot of churches out there, a lot of organizations that need the message that I'm putting on your heart. And that message is about racial and economic justice within the body of Christ and, um, and in our culture in general. But I believe that the body of Christ is the place that the Lord is um, primarily using the message that he's put on my heart. And, um, and so, yeah, it's been a, it's been a real journey, man. And, you know, one of the things that, that, that I have, really found a lot of joy in is going into organizations and saying, okay, let's set up a nine month plan Mm. for you to, to really move from, you know, working initially with the leadership team to methodically working from leadership and then uh, working our way to uh, what we call a dedicated reconciliation team, where we put together a team of people that are going to help the leader of the organization. And then from there, announcing a 90-day plan to the organization or to the church and saying, this is the steps that we're going to take and then ongoing steps from there. And so I think the biggest thing that I would want everybody to hear as we're exploring leadership across dividing lines is that it's okay in God honoring to be um, like intentional about taking those steps. It's not just going to happen naturally a lot of times. Mm. Um, You know, we're not going to find relationships across lines that the enemy has tried to keep us divided on for years and years and decades and generations. Yeah. Um, We've got to be intentional and it's okay to be intentional. Yeah. You know, uh, um, before we get into some of that kind of your, some ideas you have right into developing a plan, I want to just, ask a few questions. Here's one question. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that this hit you kind of when you planted a church and you started in church and you realized, wait, everybody looks, looks like me, right? Yeah. Did you ever, did, did this ever hit you before maybe in previous years in ministry? Did the idea, because it seems like there was kind of a God moment for you. Um, but was it something that maybe you didn't notice as much before? Did something click? What, what do you think it was? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, one of my nerd terms, you know, from my doctoral program is inattentional blindness. Uh-huh. You can see, so the way that our brain physiologically is wired is that you can see stuff all around you, mm. but the way the brain is wired is that it doesn't access information that it doesn't think it needs. That's powerful because when you start thinking about it, of course, I saw, you know, lots of stuff all around me, but in the different settings that I was in, they were quote unquote successful. Right. Right. So, so like um, organizations that I worked for before planting my own church, there was some level of diversity. We always had some form of um, connection into high poverty communities and stuff like that. Um, It wasn't until the thing that I started that all of a sudden uh, the very things that I hoped for when I went there, I wasn't accomplishing because the thing was, is that it was growing. 
and it was it was beautiful. It was it was generous and joyful, and like there were like, there were good things that were there happening. Were so many good things going on, and it wasn't until I call it the day the Lord opened my eyes, the day that God opened my eyes. Good, I saw the things that were right in front of me, and that's inattentional blindness. That's that that is everything that's been there all along. You see it differently when you allow the Lord to show you what's going on mm. right in front of your eyes. That's good. You know, I, th- I think that could be a podcast, right? Just talking right. about inattentional yeah. blindness because it's not something that you, that you do on purpose or that, or that you're, you know, ignoring. It's just, there's a moment. I think a lot of us as leaders have those moments where something just hits and boom, mm-hmm. it's been right there, but I'm actually seeing it now and now I'm yeah. acknowledging it. So now the step is, what do I do? So, so let's take my case, um, which is probably similar to a lot, right? Uh, pastoring a church, a local church. I'm in South Florida. It's funny because my my church actually was planted as a Spanish speaking church by my father. But okay. the same thing happens. Uh, uh, it's going to attract Spanish speaking people, right? Now, I, when I stepped into leadership, I took the vision into kind of two. We say we're one church, two languages. Uh, but but still, one thing that's been on my heart and my wife's heart is we want the, our church that God has giving us the privilege of pastoring to look like heaven right. and heaven is going to look diverse, uh, every nation, every, uh, tribe and tongue. And so uh, you talk a little bit about, you know, uh, making a, developing a plan for reconciliation of the church, developing a, some kind of framework, some kind of system mm-hmm. to intentionally promote, uh, this diversity. Can you talk a little bit about what that might look like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I just got back uh, the other night from working with a church here in South Charlotte on this very thing that you're talking about. The, the, the thing is, is that most people have an instinct toward what you are talking about, right? They, they, they do not, you know, I think that we would be really silly to think that there's a lot of pastors specifically that are out there saying, oh, I just want a very homogenous church. You know, right. like everybody loves the, the idea, you know, for the most part, everybody loves the idea. Mm-hmm of the book of revelation, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, and everybody says, hallelujah. Yeah. Right. The, the problem is that takes intentionality because I remember I, you know, I take this journal everywhere that I go, you know, I've got this journal right here in my hands. And I remember going home the day that the Lord started to open up my eyes and I wrote down this little phrase and it was like people invite like people, right. Mm-hmm. It's what you're talking about in your church family. Um, the thing that started to change for me, was when my relational circle started to change because what I started to realize is the people that I felt most naturally connected to were people that looked like me, the people that were from the same economic class as me, the people that, that I had the most in common with, because what happens is if we don't develop an ethic of intentionally learning and intentionally Mm. asking questions and reaching out across dividing lines, um, we may never see diversity within our organizations. You know, even as we talk about like, hiring within organizations. Mm-hmm. I genuinely believe Virgil that people are hiring the best people that they know. You know, I think that people are hiring, um, you know, the best, like I said, I'll say it twice, the best people that they know. But right. that means if you're hiring a bunch of people from the same race, does that mean that you only know a bunch of people from the same race? Right. You know, because there's brilliant people everywhere. And so what I do is I'll go into an organization mm-hmm. And, um, and what I'll, what I'll first thing I do is I say, I need to meet with your leadership team. So I need to meet with all of the leaders that, um, that are in this organization 
the key leaders, the decision makers, the executive team. So if it's church, I need to meet with your board. If it's a, if it's an organization that has an executive board, I need to meet with them first. And I need to develop a statement with you of your intentionality for diversity within this organization. And Mm -hmm. then from there, we start to move into this inward look um, for each leader individually. Like we start reading really good books together. Um, We'll do open discussions together uh, once a month together. Uh, I will, you know, basically take them on a three month journey of self-exploration because if the leaders of an organization don't understand the things that are trying to be expressed, um, it'll never be believable to the organization as a whole. And so, um, so from there, you gotta, you gotta kind of get that buy-in from the key leaders have to in order for it to be a successful plan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, every leader that's listening to this knows this, any of us that have led organizations, we know that uh, vision flows through the gatekeeper of the organization and God has called and anointed us to be leaders. But it's, you know, like one of my mentors said this to me a long time ago. He said, you get what you go for. (laughs) And, and I felt that over and over and over again in my leadership that if I look six months, you know, backwards, whatever seeds I was planting six months ago are coming up in my organization now. Yeah. And so that that's what I try and work with organizations on is just, hey, let's make sure that we start with an inward look at ourselves first and then move forward to what we're going to do about it. And, and, and we need to act right like i mean i can yeah. we can i had somebody tell me the other day one of these um elders ra- raised their hand and was like i'm all about sitting around and talking about it but when are we going to do something about it <laughs> and i said well if you act too quickly you know i said i'm all about doing it i'm a total eight on the enneagram i'm ready to rock you know like let's go let's go and um but if you if you go too quickly you can hurt people around you and make unintentional steps okay i have i have something i want to bring up um, not as pushback, but as maybe as I'm hearing you, it's something that's challenging for me. Yeah. Specifically, specifically on the staff side, because of mm-hmm. course, like I said, we want to lead a diverse church, you know, and 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 um, that takes intentionality. W- one of the struggle challenges that I've, that I've had in my leadership my leadership role as a lead pastor of a church um, has always been, man, finding the right people to get on board, right, getting oh. the right people in the right places. And one of the things that I've I've gotten a lot of. Um, I guess counsel and advice from mentors and uh, some pastors, leaders that are a little foot further down the road than me. That that when when it comes to the question of is it better to hire from within, uh, you know, or from from outside? Obviously, there's there's challenges that can be pros and cons, and kind of landed after a lot of conversations. Landed, man, when when it's a when it's a son of the house or a daughter of the house that kind of has our DNA. You know, a lot of times it can lead to a more, uh, 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 I guess, a longer duration of, of of being there. But then at the same time. Sometimes that person's not there. How does that play into this? Because obviously, um, you can't if you're hiring. Um, if you're intentionally saying, "I want," we want to make a, an intentional hire of a staff member of someone who is, you know, different, right, than us. You yeah. know, somebody who's they're not within, most likely, right. That's why we want to do this. What What would you weigh into that conversation? Yeah, I think that that's a that's a tough needle to thread, man. Um, I mean, I think that one of the things that that I, I would encourage every leader t- to do is to do a relational audit of their life. Mm -hmm. Uh, What circles are they operating in? Who do they know? Who are they hanging out with? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting to what answering your question. Um, 
sometimes the only way to arrive at diversity is through incredible amounts of intentionality, right? Yeah. And so, like, let's say that um, an organization comes to me, and, and you know, like, um, you know, we'll just we'll just go with what people call me. You know, like, they look at me and they say I'm white. You know, and so it's like, um, so you know, I'm I'm Greek, Filipino. I've got African in me and Irish, but people look at me and they say I'm a white guy. <laughs> um, so if, if there's a predominantly white organization, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would say that do a relational audit and make sure that there's um, like relationships of people of color in your life that you could pull from. But then the idea of hiring from within, I a hundred percent agree with that as the best model, unless that model continues to perpetually give you the same thing that you're going for. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, I mean, that's one of the definitions of insanity, right. Is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And, and so at some point, if you really want to make a change, yeah, like let, let's look at the relationships in your life. But if your organization isn't changing, every leader knows there's, there comes these moments where you got to go, we got to try something different, you know, and it doesn't, it's not always easy. And that's why we need to learn how to talk to each other. That's why, that's why I wrote this book is why do, you know, how do we find relationships and develop an instinct of neighborliness to connect across dividing lines? Because that's where a lot of this stuff breaks down, even on staff is people just aren't seeing each other. That's good. I I like what you said about relational audit. And you just mentioned, uh, for those watching the video uh, option of this podcast, I'm holding up here the book. It's called Neighborliness, Neighborliness by Dr. David Dukasin, who we are talking with right now. And um, uh, it's the subtitle is Finding the Beauty of God Across Dividing Lines. Um, I know that a lot of what we're talking about here, David, you you touch on, you know, in this book. why do you think it would be a good idea for some leaders to get their hands on this book, to order some of these books, maybe for their staff or for their leadership yeah. team? You know, what, what would you say? And we'll, and a little bit later in the podcast, we'll talk about how they can get their hands, how they can access this book. Yeah. It's, and it's called Neighborliness. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a joy to see, um, you know, churches, like entire churches buy it, small groups going through it and stuff like that. I think yeah. the reason that I would love to see more churches and more organizations um, work with that. I mean, we've had whole nonprofit organizations, businesses go through it together. Um, I think the reason it's important, Virgil, is because um, the theological groundwork of the entire thing came from these moments when I was like, during my doctoral program, I was studying all this racial and economic injustice and generational poverty, all these really heavy topics. And then I started to think to myself, the greatest commandment is like literally the thing that Jesus said was the most important thing that I could focus on. Right. And my goodness, how much does developing a spirit of neighborliness and loving God, which I think that we do a good job of forming systems and we're really intentional about how we're going to focus our attention on God at church. But I've asked myself the question, are we as focused on developing an ethic of neighborliness? Mm-hmm. And so neighborliness is not a black and white conversation, literally. Neighborliness is the instinct to embody the presence of Jesus in our community. And when we embody the presence of Jesus, he was always reaching out across dividing lines. And so I share a lot of really practical stories, examples from the scriptures, um, and just, you know, like I always say that I try and embed my doctoral studies in, in stories and, you know, so people don't 
you know, just conk out and fall asleep <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, but you know, it's going to be a, a, a well-researched book that's deeply theological and it's about that ethic of what does it mean to connect across dividing lines? And the reason that I would say I would love for people to read that is I think we could all do better at it. Yeah. I think I would agree with that. Not only, not only do I agree with, we could all do better at it, but interestingly enough, and I th- we talked about this as we prepared, uh, David, but the truth is talk about an appropriate and relevant time for, right. for a book like neighborliness to come out. Um, you know, what would you, sh- what's on your, what's on your heart seeing what's happened in 2020. There's so many things that have happened in 2020, but yeah, one right. of the, one of the big things in, in our nation uh, is just, uh, um, an unrest with the with the uh, r- racial injustice, with the um, uh, the idea of you know how racism has been an undertone for obviously not everybody, but for some people in every direction, right? Um, but knowing that, I mean, you you probably have been working on on this book and this idea for years, yeah. and that, and now it's out, and this this is kind of some of the recent happenings in our country. I mean, what do you think about that, about the timing of all this? Yeah, I think that there's no way in a million years that after doing my doctoral program, uh, starting this organization that connects with families across dividing lines, the the work that we're doing at the church, it was a five-year process of when the Lord first put this on my heart to the time that we actually came out with it. Um, What I would say, Virgil, is I just know that the Lord... Um, he knows timing, you know, he, he understands that there are seeds that are planted over seasons of life that are ready when the world needs it. And I think there are an, an incredible amount of wonderful books that people can read in relation to this topic. But what I would hope is that neighborliness is an on time, fresh word from the Holy Spirit that is born out of a bunch of mistakes and uh, a commitment to just keep showing up and a lot of research. And I think that, um, that, you know, what I'd say about the timing is there's, you know, we intended to release the book on August 23rd. And then in June, by the time June rolled around, the entire world was talking about racial and economic injustice and so we threw all of our marketing plans out the window and it has been a wild ride for the last four months of, you know, four or five months of just trying to figure out how to hold on because people have been so ready to engage with the message of neighborliness. I think that people like the fact that it's talking about racial and economic injustice, but it's also theological. And I think that they like the fact that they've never heard the word before <laughs> and that it sounds a bit more approachable than like, all right, we're going to have a conversation about racism, you know? Um, yeah, so, you know, I mean, I just, I just thank God that he was preparing me in this message for this moment. So I can't take credit for that for sure. Well, I I think it's awesome. I think, uh, I think this is a message that we as leaders need to be not only, not only open to, but willing to say, we need to grow. You've mentioned the word intentional probably three or four times already, which is one of my favorite words in general, but there does need to be an intentionality if we're going to find um, diversity to really become a reality in our ministries, in our organizations, uh, in our communities, that, that connection, right? Uh, one, one of the topics that that's come up a couple of times as we've been talking about this, um, is the, is freedom, freedom communities, right? Um, can you talk to us a little bit about, 
what freedom communities are? Is that I don't know if that's connected to the book or just kind of the initiative that that you're beginning you know, that you guys have been working on. Yeah, I mean that really came out of my doctoral studies. It was you know I just had this very simple question. Um, I wanted to go around the country and find places that over a long period of time have made a measurable and sustainable impact in high poverty communities. Mm. And so I went and I did a bunch of research. My wife and I traveled all over the country, um, got to go to a lot of different places. And, and, um, and what we saw, um, and this is just kind of putting on my researcher hat, is that they may not have said it specifically, but everywhere that I had seen that was helping families break cycles of generational poverty had four elements in it. And I started to kind of do the research, Harvard, you know, UC Berkeley, um, mm. all these amazing universities that have just really, really, really good studies. Stanford University has some amazing stuff. Um, education, employment, healthcare, and housing. So okay, education. pause, pause, pause. You're saying that the four factors most common in all these studies regarding yeah. breaking these- the cycle of poverty. So right. So the first one, education. Poverty. Yes. Employment. Ed- Healthcare, I imagine like um, access to these things, right? Yes, it's 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 equitable access, mm. all four things. So imagine, you know, like in my in my city, and anybody that's listening, just so that you know, your your city's not going to be much different. It just so happened that Charlotte was the worst out of all of them. Out of the wow. fifty large cities that were studied, Charlotte was the worst. It was fifty out of fifty. A child has a four percent chance of breaking the cycle of poverty if they're born into poverty. Wow. So one of the things that I would ask leaders is, as I say that, when was the last time that you cried over the stats of your city? Like, when was the last time that you you looked at your city and said, man, there might be something wrong, right? And so what I believe is that as I started to look around, I started to go like, wow, that that's a framework that you know, I'm a big believer in framework leadership that if I can, if I can see what I should be doing, I can start moving towards it. And so what we did is we created an organization that focuses, we don't try and fix poverty everywhere. We have about a mile and a half square radius around the church that we planted. Mm. We just said, everybody in in this community, these three neighborhoods within a mile and a half of our church, um, everybody's going to have equitable access to education, employment, healthcare, and housing. And, and so what I'll do, so like um, a 2.0 version of work that I do with churches is if I'll go in, work with them for, you know, X amount of time, talking about racial and economic understanding, awareness, diversity in their organization, then to the elder that says to me, well, what are we going to do about it? I would say, okay, well, let's start, let's update our outreach programs. Instead of just giving out food, what if we start connecting the body of Christ through leadership? And we say, okay, let's make sure that we have now an audit of what's going on in our community. What organizations are giving access to education? What organizations already give access to employment and healthcare and housing? And what happens is a lot of those things are already in and embedded into communities. It's just who's the connective tissue that's going to get the muscles and the joints and the bones working together, right? And I believe that the body of Christ is that to these communities. And so, um, so yeah, education, employment, healthcare, housing, that's what we focus on. Um, you know, I mean, I just told you this, uh, when we were, you know, meeting the other day, um, it's just such a joy. We're about to start our third neighborhood that we're building, um, with 500 units of affordable housing now on the market, um, really working towards, um, you know, purchasing another 80 homes to where we can work with families towards home ownership, um, lots of different things in all four of those lanes. And all we did, Virgil, 
is activate through leadership, activate the body. So when we said, hey, if there's people that are in the community that are already experts in education or already experts in, you know, like any of these four areas, mm-hmm. said, hey, there's nobody who knows better than you about this. So why don't you tell us what we should do? And all of a sudden we just started to bring it all together. And it's just been a joy. Like the organization um, is thriving and we just opened up a community center that we purchased and, uh, and do all of our work out of that community center in the middle of a, of a rapidly changing neighborhood. Now, would you say that this, this, I guess this freedom community that you're doing, this is in your, in your local church, your local kind of hometown. Yeah. And when, when do you already have, some benchmarks, some, some information or when, how long does it take to be able to say, Hey, we're seeing some numbers and yeah. we're seeing some changes, right? Like, tell me out with that. Like, yeah. how can you tell, Hey, we've made yeah. progress. Yeah. That's a huge, that's a great question. Virgil. I wish more people asked that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, um, generational change, um, is measured in generations, not years. Yeah. So that's frustrating. Yeah. But there are benchmarks. So what we did is, so I'm a big believer that everything that we need is, we don't start anything unless it doesn't exist or it's not accessible to us. So yeah. what we did is we went to UNC Charlotte, the, the University of North Carolina, right here in Charlotte, 50,000 students, amazing research center. And we said, hey, we have, we've allocated $25,000 out of our budget. Why don't why don't we partner with you guys and you guys measure what we're doing? And mm. so we met with them about an hour and a half. They came back, Virgil, uh, a week later and said, um, not only do we want to work with you, but we accessed a $100,000 grant. You guys wow. keep your money and we're going to measure it for you because we need organizations like yours that are trying to bring holistic change. What I'm saying is that until we take that step of faith, we're not going to see miracles because we don't put ourselves in position to need miracles. Right. And so like, so like with, as it relates to measuring, well, how are we ever going to measure a community? Well, there's people that actually do that. Right. We just need to get ourselves in position to say, okay, I'm ready to see systemic change in my community and watch the way that the Lord starts to bring people around. And so we have like um, benchmarks, like um, education scores for kids. We can track that. Um, annual salary of people that come into the organization. We've got a plan right now that um, within the next, about the next two years, we will have 450 children that we're impacting directly, like hands-on directly through the, the, um, the work that we're doing right there in that localized community. Um, we, we go 15 moms at a time. We have a program called Moms Moving Forward, Single Moms. And so we're able to really measure um, things like job status, um, you know, preparedness for, uh, you know, whether it's education or preparedness for a job. Um, and so, yeah, we've, we've been able to, to measure quite a bit of it. But the thing that's frustrating for funders is that you have to have an appetite for a long period to be able to really see the whole ship turn. But there are little incremental measurements that we can do as well. Yeah, I think it's important to talk about that. I guess, you know, I think it requires... First of all, faith, what you're saying, yes. faith that, you know, with the Lord's help and and activating activating our faith and praying over this as well and just really putting it in God's hands, you know, God can move. God is a God who moves, yes. um, but it takes patience. In other words, this is not a, hey, let me plant my seed today and tomorrow peek my head out to see if I see the yeah. tree. 
You know, it, it's kind of something that needs kind of a long-term vision. And I think that might be a struggling point for pastors and leaders. Cause I, I just, I just put myself, you know, sometimes I think sometimes not always uh, generational leadership tendencies. You know, I know my father, my father was, you know, was my, is my pastor, right. And he planned our church and his mentality might be a little different than mine. And each generation, I guess, has its areas where it's harder, but somebody might say, Hey, I'm not seeing any results. You know, did this really work? No. And, you know, let's go back to the drawing board as opposed to saying, Hey, we, we we're committed to this framework because I feel like somebody might say, Hey, let's try to do this in our church. Let's try to do this in our organization, you know, diversity, make some efforts and not really see something happen right away. And then that could kind of cause some frustration. Have you, I mean, have you seen anything in the research about that? Yeah. I mean, it's honestly, it's more of the anecdotal evidence of yeah. Just living it out, you know. Um, I I would tell people that are listening, you know, we've got a bunch of leaders that are leading through one of the most uniquely difficult seasons of life that any of us have ever lived through, right? Mm-hmm. So you have all you have COVID, you've got the racial and, and civic unrest that's going on right now, um, you know, all of this economic stuff that's going on. Um, people are mad. People are, you know, this is a very volatile season. Yeah. And and what I would tell pastors is to find a good rhythm. Um, to find, if we just look at the scriptures, let's bring this thing back to scripture. Um, I don't know the exact thing, Virgil, and I'm going to screw it up, you know, really publicly on this podcast, but it's something like, you know, I'm I'm nervous about the theologians that are going to hammer me on this, but it's something like one out of every 15 verses in the new Testament talks about justice. It talks about like equality. It talks about like God's heart for the poor the marginalized, the cast aside, you know, And so it's like, we don't have to look very far to bring this stuff up. And I actually think that just preach the word, right? Preach the word, but don't ignore it when it gets to parts. Don't ignore it when it gets to parts where it talks about justice. Right. You know, and and so over a long period of time, you will see change. But I actually believe that in the midst of all of this social unrest that's going on, it's the church's that are still talking about it six months from now that didn't just do a sermon series or highlight it during black history month or, right. you know, talk about it during, um, you know, like, uh, anything that would, um, we, we have to have months to remind us to honor people of color in our country. Yeah. Okay. It's the churches and the organizations that will honor people of color, um, and people across dividing lines naturally they're the ones that are going to see their organizations diverse in the future. That's good. That's really good. Hey, as we're hitting the home stretch here, this has been so good, David. Um, There's something that caught my attention when we were talking as well. You talked about the difference between reconciliation and conciliation, which is, which is first time I kind of, I kind of heard that put in that way. Cause we, we all tend to hear about reconciliation. Can you tell me a little bit of, of, about, about that? Yeah, I think it's the title of chapter four, right? It's just uh-huh. just intriguing enough where somebody goes, what's that guy talking about? I just said, I, I had a buddy that said that I said to, you know, he was leading a, a reconciliation and inclusion team <laughs> at, a, at a very large organization. And I said, yo, I think that we need to like reconsider the words reconciliation and inclusion. And he kind of looked at me and he's like, I like you, but tread lightly, my friend, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And, um, and I mean, basically, Virgil, what I'm trying to say is that reconciliation means that you have to have a place to return to. 
Mm-hmm. To reconcile something means to go back to the to an originating point. And and I go very in-depth in the book about this, but at what point would we return to in America specifically right. that was equitable to people of color? You know, we're a country that was founded with economic principles that were attached to racism. And, and so what I'm saying there is that instead of reconciling back to somewhere that our country needs to go to, what if we had conciliatory conversations? Now, conciliation just means healing. Right. And so what if we had conciliatory conversations about, hey, we need to heal some wounds and then we can reconcile all the way back to the garden. We can go all the way back to the beginning when all of this brokenness was entered into the world. We have beauty. And that's what the Lord promises us is that when we find ourselves in him, we are reconciled back to the father. And so if we're going to have reconciliatory conversations, I think that we need to be having conversations about Jesus. If we're talking about um, society, we need to be talking about conciliation because we need healing. We can't go back to anywhere that's been fair all along. That's great insight. And I think that that really hits home when we truly think about it. Uh, you know, you said it, think about just our, our nation, right? Um, I, although I think that there's racial inequality and injustice all over the world as a person who's been to many, many Absolutely. countries, even in Latin America. I mean, I, you know, I, I've seen it firsthand. And so, um, man, this is so good. I want, I want everybody to know um, where they can get the book. So Dr. David Dukasin wrote this book called Neighborliness. David, where can they find, where can they get this book? Yeah, it's available on all platforms on Amazon. So audiobook, um, Kindle, and the physical copy is on Amazon. That's the easiest way. Uh, we do uh, organizational pricing on uh, neighborliness.com, um, which also has, so we do bulk orders for organizations. You can reach out to me uh, through that or our team through that uh, website, neighborliness.com. But that also has a lot of resources for organizations Um you know, things like sermon series ideas, um, small group guides. There's a small group guide embedded into the book itself um, at the very end there. So if organizations wants to take groups through guided conversations, that's in there. Um, I've got a ton of videos, um, little snippet videos, full-on sermons at neighborliness.com. Um, we have a community prayer guide that churches and organizations use and individuals. They just download it, and it kind of gives uh, language of prayer so neighborliness.com is kind of the ecosystem of neighborliness. But if you just want to grab it real fast, uh, I would go to Amazon. So everybody, you heard the book Neighborliness by David Dukasin. Um, uh, but if you are like our church who has small groups, maybe this is something that could intrigue or interest some small groups or some leadership, some staff uh, resources, and you want to get it maybe in bulk or larger numbers, you can go to neighborliness.com. Um, is there any other way people could, ways people can be connected or know more about your ministry? Yeah, just at daviddukasin.com. So you'd have to stare at the way my name is spelled. It's so weird. I need you to spell it because people wouldn't understand how to spell Dukasin based on this spelling. D-O-C-U-S-E-N. It's phonetically awful, but (laughs) uh, D-O-C-U-S-E-N. And, um, you know, I do quite a bit of work with organizations. My, my undergrad, I mean, my, uh, my master's degree, I did a lot of organizational uh, leadership stuff. And so I kind of geek out on like governmental structures of churches and um, you know, helping to develop healthy teams and stuff like that. And so that's another thing that I'm very passionate about, but daviddukeson.com has, you know, all the stuff about the Dukeson ministries as a whole. Yeah. If you're a pastor or, or a ministry leader or a community leader, and you want to uh, get a little bit more insight uh, on, on all this that we've been talking about today, make sure you go to David Dukeson. 
com. By the way, it's D-O-C-U-S-E-N. D-O-C-U-S-E-N. I also want to throw in here, David, um, for all, all of our Avail people, our Avail Journal. The Avail Journal, this is one of the one of the best leadership journals out there right now. Uh, um, it's a Christian leadership journal. Everything Avail is Christian leadership and practical. We want to put practical resources. There's some great articles by uh, many, many leaders. Obviously, Dr. Sam Chand, uh, who heads up Avail, um, has some great, great uh, information in here, some great leaders and pastors. If you have not gotten your hands on an Avail journal, you can get a free annual subscription by going to availjournal.com. Avail, A-V-A-I-L, journal.com. David, make sure you let people know about this. This journal is, I say it's the (laughs) bomb.com. Availjournal.com, free annual subscription. Uh, David, um, it's been so great connecting with you. Oh, by the way, there's a lot of people who connect via social media. How can they find you on social media? Uh, It's the great thing about having a weird name. It's just my handle is my name, first and last name, David Dukason. Um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, you know, all of it. It's, it's just there. So I'd love to connect with anybody. Yes. David Dukeson. Can I say this? It's it, when you look at the spelling, it looks like it's DocuSend. Well, DocuSend. That's kind of how it looks like, but it's pronounced. Passion for people knowing how to spell my name. Because then they can't find you. I know what this is like. (laughs) Hey, um, as we close off, I'd like for you to just share some closing thoughts for all of the leaders and pastors and just uh, people connected uh, on this Avail Leadership Podcast, uh, David. What are some closing thoughts, some last things you want to leave on our hearts? Yeah, I think that when we look at the scriptures, I, I love the Bible, Virgil, and I want to be working toward the same things that the Lord is working toward, right? And so when we're praying for heaven to come to earth, we're not praying to some faraway place called heaven. We have this opportunity and theologians call it the already and the not yet. And what it is, is that we already experience the beauty of God right here on earth. We are literally called not to say, I can't wait to get to heaven. What I'm saying is I want to pull heaven to earth right now. And so the already is, man, when we get to do this right here, Virgil, me and you, like, you're my brother, you know, like, I mean, I have so enjoyed just chatting with you. We experience the beauty of God across even an an ethnic dividing line here. Yeah. It's beautiful. And so the not yet is found when we just, all we have to do is turn on the news or look around our community that's hurting and it's broken. And so what I would say to leaders out there is let's be aiming towards the same goal. The same goal is that at the end, We are going to see heaven come to earth fully in every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And we're not going to see it unless we have intentionality to get there. So let's do it. I love it. I love it. That's such a good word to end on uh, because I think, I think everything we've talked about here today, uh, David is in the center of God's heart. I think if you look from Genesis to revelation, there's something that's so powerful about, people coming together, regardless of differences, regardless of language. I mean, there's, there's such a beauty in that. So 
Um, let me just take a moment on behalf of our Avail team, uh, David, we just want to honor you and want to thank you for not only your hard work and your research throughout the years and, and your effort in ministry, but for the vision that you've embraced, for the bold step that you took to say, hey, I'm stepping out of maybe what has been comfortable, but I'm, I'm willing to do this because of how important I think it is. Uh, I really admire that. And we applaud you uh, here at Avail and all the leaders that are connected, I'm sure feel the same way. Uh, may the Lord continue to guide you and, and give you wisdom, you and, and, and your wife, Dara, and everybody else who's on, you know, on this journey with you uh, to make a great impact. And I believe in what you said. It, we're not, we, might not, we can't plant the seed today and look out the window tomorrow and expect to see the tree up. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna, this is going to be a gener- an issue of generations. But uh, until the Lord comes back, we should keep working hard to aim for this. So, so great job, David. Great job. And thank you for taking the time. Well, and thank you for all the things that you guys do. Keep pushing forward and we're all on the same team, right? We're moving forward together. That's right. And so everybody, thank you so much for connecting with us once again on the Avail Leadership Podcast. There's so many ways you can connect with us. Availleadership.org is where you can find more information about us at Avail. Also for your free annual subscription, not just one, you get four. They come out quarterly. Free annual subscription at availjournal.com. And remember, if you haven't seen some of the, or listened to some of the previous podcasts, we got some great leaders from around the world and some good ones to come in the future. Thank you, David. Thank you to everybody connected. We'll see you next time here at the Avail Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this intriguing conversation. You can order your copy of David's book, Neighborliness, at neighborliness.com. Also, you can get a free annual subscription to the Avail Journal by going to availjournal.com. And if you'd like to connect to our growing leadership community on Facebook, visit availleadershipconnect.com. We pray that you and your loved ones would be greatly blessed. And as always, thank you for connecting with us to learn the art of leadership here at the Avail Leadership Podcast.